Hi, I'm Carl Matheson. I'm the editor of Climate Home News. Uh, last week, our Amazon correspondent Fabiano Mezanave came to visit us in London, and we were lucky enough to grab him for an hour to speak to an audience here, and we taped it so that you could join us. Uh, Fabiano spoke to us about his role reporting for both us and for Brazil's largest and most influential national newspaper, Folha de Sao Paulo, and he is the only correspondent working in the Amazon for any of Brazil's national papers, which is extraordinary when you think it's about a third of the national territory and there's one reporter. Uh, Fabiano is intrepid, he has incredible stories, he's funny um, and brave. And he's reporting at an incredibly difficult time in Brazil's history uh, and the Amazon's history. Uh, the presidential election of Jair Bolsonaro has thrown a shadow over all the environmental efforts that are happening in Brazil. And um, Fabiano spoke at length about that. So I hope you enjoy it um, and thank you for listening. Fabiano, um, thanks for talking to us and giving up your time. I am... So I've been working with you for a few years and I've learned so much about uh, Brazil and deepened my knowledge through working with you. And so it's really great that we can have you in to share with these people a bit about that. I wanted to just get you to tell people why you ended up in Manaus in the middle of the Amazon. It's a, you can tell people a little bit about that city, but Fabiano has been a correspondent in Washington, in Beijing, in Caracas. So uh, how did you end up in the middle of the Amazon? So I'm, I'm a, re a reporter for Brazil's largest newspaper, Folha, and most of my career was abroad and in Latin America, and my last assignment abroad was in China. And I went back to, to Brazil in 2012, and I became a reporter at large. And one of the first trips was to the Amazon and it was my first assignment there. And it was a really hard story to understand was um, three people were killed inside the indigenous territory and they were blaming the Indians and no one really understood what, what happened there. And then there was a riot in, in the city, Umaita, and, and they, and they trying to kill or to attack all the Indians in the city. They had to go to the military headquarters and they stayed there for one week. And, and it was really, really tense. Like you, you, an Indian couldn't walk in the city uh, safely. And, and that was my first assignment there. And, and I did a very poor job. I was very correctly attacked in the internet. And then, and at the same time, it was fascinating for me to, to try to understand what was happening there, why, why there was so much anger, what was, it, what was at stake. And that's when I started to think about moving to the Amazon because uh, it's, it's really hard to cover from, uh, from Sao Paulo, from the south. Uh, and a few years later, I was finally able to to move to Manaus and Chris who is here uh, we had lunch in the first day there and Chris is also Brazilian she was with Greenpeace um, it was mid 2016 right and and from there on I I I asked to go to Manaus the Folha as all the newspapers in the world has many financial problems and we we had closed the office there and and then when I went back, to, I, I, I was in the U.S. for one year. And when I went back, I asked the newspaper to reopen the office and let me go there. And they they said yes. And and I was and I'm still am the only national correspondent in the Amazon for a national publication. And, and we're talking about 60 percent of Brazilian territory. So we have four newspapers in Brazil national newspapers. I'm the only one in these four newspapers that, uh, that is based in, in the Amazon. And I chose Manaus, which is not the most pleasant city. <laughs> uh, and it's, uh, but I, my decision is because it's right at the center of the Amazon, so it was easier for me to move around. And also because it's really an outpost. If you see the, 
if you see the, the map, like there's nothing around Manaus. It's right in the jungle. You just drive 10 minutes, you're in the jungle. You take the boat 10 minutes, you're in the jungle. And it's really a misplaced idea. No? Manaus, it's a two million city um, that was, uh, it's going to be 350 years old now this year. And uh, it was a sleepy city until the late 19th century when, um, when there was a rubber boom. And most of you have seen Fitzcarraldo and the, and the theater there. So that's Manaus, when which was built was a 50,000 uh, city. Uh, and now it's two million. And, and Manaus was... Um, people blame the, the English, I think, that, to, that they brought the rubber to, to the Malaysia and then broke the city. And I think it was really nice because le much less Indians were killed because of that. And, there was, and then they, it became a slip city until the 60s when the military decided to uh, create an uh, economic zone there. So in spite of the fact that we don't even have a road to go to the south, they created uh, this hub of factories there. We have uh, Samsung, we have uh, Honda, Yamaha, uh, we have Harley Davidson being built in the middle of the jungle. And, and then the city out of a sudden exploded in, in, in a very unorganized way as most Latin American cities are. Just to give you one, uh, Data but only ten percent of the uh, of the city has a, a drainage system. Right. Only ten percent. All the rest goes to the to the river. And so, it's it's not as pleasant as <laughs> other cities, but I think I'm in the perfect place to cover the Amazon. I from like <laughs> when we started working together, um, it took me a while to get used to the fact that Fabiano would like often disappear out of contact for days or weeks at a time and just like realizing that that is the reality of like you know when you're sitting in an office in London you don't realize the accessibility and the communications issues that you're dealing with um, and often he would come back with some undiagnosed tropical disease and then be in hospital for another <laughs> few days <laughs> maybe that, that didn't happen often but a couple of times something happened but um I'm astonished by the difficulties and the challenges of working as a reporter out there. I don't know if you can like talk us through what uh, an average day as a reporter in the Amazon looks like. Well, uh, again, the the, the big problem, the biggest problem is the logistics. We we sixty percent of the territory is like five million square kilometers. Of course, you cannot reach by, by, by road. We, you have to use boats, you have to use small airplanes, mostly boats, and no internet, of course. Um, and, that, and, that, and, and that makes the whole thing very expensive. Um, uh, if, you, if you take a, a boat um, and you, you, in two days you spend 5,000 liters of gas, and that's a lot of money and a lot of carbon too, but uh, there's no other way to, to walk around. So it's really hard for us to finance uh, the journalists. That's one of the reasons that not so many journalists there. And, and also there is, there is the safety issue. I mean, I, I don't want, uh, there was never a, a journalist from national newspaper or from a major um, uh, news media that was killed in the Amazon, but there there have been some killings in the local newspapers. Brazil is one of the most dangerous places to be a journalist. And uh, I've, I've been threatened a few times, uh, but yeah, and then you, you have to, you, you cannot just walk there. So in order to go, in order to avoid uh, risks, you have to be well prepared, you have to know people, you have to have a guide. And, and so, uh, this is another big issue. And the third one is time. Uh, there's no trip that could take less than one week. We, we really need a lot of time to go back and forth and, and, and reach people there. So it's, it's, re it's really a huge, huge task. And it's frustrating for me because there's so many things going on and we have to choose one story. And uh, we miss a lot of other stories. And if I'm not there to tell, uh, there's nobody else. It's sad to say that there's nobody else, 
and I frustrate a lot of people that give me information and I cannot pursue this information and and also I'm not um, may, sometimes I arrive two three weeks late and and that's also very frustrating so when we were working together at first you were um, doing quite a lot of work on you know illegal logging and mining and the encroachment onto indigenous territories um, we have talked a lot about the fact that indigenous territories in the Amazon are really important buffers against that kind of activity because they sort of self-police those regions. Um, and then you started talking to me a couple of years ago about this politician, this obscure politician who was suddenly creating this enormous social movement behind him. And, of course, we sort of know Jair Bolsonaro now and who's been recently been elected as president of Brazil. But you were... To, and I'm sure that Brazil was people in Brazil were talking about this a lot earlier than we kind of were talking about it uh, in, in, overseas. And then you wrote this piece last year that for us that really broke through and raised the alarm and said and made the connection between Bolsonaro and the Amazon rainforest and his agenda and what that would mean. Um, do you want to just talk about, first of all, what those kind of things that you were that you feared might happen in the Amazon and then maybe we could talk about whether those things are sort of, in, you know, with four months into his presidency, what's happening in the, on the ground? Well, Bolsonaro, yeah. So uh, the, the bad news from Bolsonaro is that his alliance with, his, uh, his alliances are with the people who are most destroyed the Amazon. So first the military, and then the, the agriculture sector. Uh, the military, they ruled the country from 1964 to 1985, and they had this obsession with the Amazon that they, somebody would take over the Amazon if the Amazon was not occupied. So they did a, a many, many... Uh, Manaus is one example. They created this economic zone. They also built the highway that crossed... Uh, East-West is uh, in the Amazon part is over 2,000 kilometers, with no study. There were no, they didn't use. Uh, uh, they just couldn't care about the Indians. They just uh, opened the the roads and cut through the indigenous lands, uncontacted tribes. It was it's, it was the, the word is genocide. If uh, if you read a book called Os uh, Fuzizias Flashes, uh, the the rifles and the arrows by a journalist, a friend of mine, who published it two years ago. There's no other word to describe than genocide. And then that opened uh, a lot of land for the agriculture to move upward from the south to the north. So um, especially Mato Grosso and then Rondonia, all these areas uh, were open for uh, commercial agriculture uh, during the military, again, without any criteria, with no respect Forever for for indigenous people or, or other uh, in, uh, local uh, population, it's uh, and this is a movement that continues today. It's a, called the arc of deforestation. It's a big area that goes from the west to the east, and and the deforestation keeps moving upward, and and that started with um, with the military. So Bolsonaro is a military, a retired captain. And his main alliance in Congress is with the beef caucus, and uh, the people who want to uh, overrule all this law that were were created in after the uh, the end of the military rule to protect uh, most of land demarcations happened after 1988, our uh, the new constitution, and uh, we we have now in comparison to other countries a big a, a lot of. Uh, indigenous areas it's about 13 percent of the territory and with bolsonaro he wants to change everything again so he he has he said last week that he wants to overrule any demarcation that he can uh, in december he said that he will overrule a very controversial one in the north of the border with uh, venezuela and he transferred uh, the the indigenous bureau attribution for demarcation from the from the ministry of justice to the ministry of agriculture and he puts a guy who is um he's he was in charge of a militia 
that was especially aiming indigenous people in, in, in the southwest in the region called Mato Grosso do Sul. So uh, he just chose the, the worst. Uh, his minister of agriculture is also from that part of the country. Her campaign was financed by one person who is indicted to have killed a 17-year-old indigenous leader. So he, he brought all these people to power. So that's the bad news. The good news is that he cannot do any, everything he wants. The first thing is the indigenous movement. It's really strong. It's nationwide. Um, they, they have a very strong organization. Three weeks ago, the government decided to cancel the, the Secretary for Indigenous Health, which is really important. And they, right now they don't have any doctors because Bolsonaro expelled the Cuban doctors. So there's, they are already in a big crisis. And on the top of that, he wanted to cancel that, that, that secretary that is in charge of. And the indigenous people, they mobilized from the north, from Pico da Neblina, the, the, the border of uh, Venezuela, a place that takes two-hour flight from Boa Vista. It's like there were people protesting there, and there were people protesting in the center of Sao Paulo. They took over the city hall in Sao Paulo. And they, they were able to the Bolsonaro government had to back down and they canceled the, the, this, uh, this decision. And next week, you'll probably see the police attacking Indians in Brasilia. Uh, every year they do a large uh, protest in Brasilia in, in the month of April, that's Indigenous Month in Brazil. And, they and Bolsonaro already said that he's going to use the National Guard against them. And so that's next week it's going to be hard to... So, the indigenous movement is really organized, really strong. They don't need NGOs. They don't need uh, politicians. They have their own politician now. The first female, we, we, I wrote about this, the first female uh, indigenous uh, leader was elected to Congress. And the other good news is that most of the things that he wants to change is through the constitution. So he has to change the constitution. And right now, it's not possible. I mean, the Congress is, uh, he has a really hard relationship with Congress right now, and the priority is to, is to pass the welfare reform. And this is, and this is going to take uh, a lot of effort for him, and most of the time in Congress right now is, is for that. So in Congress right now, there's, there's no time, there's no room for, for this change that, for instance, uh, to reverse indigenous demarcation has to go for congress to open the indigenous lands for mining you have to have a, a congress a regulation uh, to open uh, indigenous lands to agriculture it also needs to to, to, the, the, to change the constitution so these things right now uh, are stalled he, he cannot do much about this right now in terms of law we've seen um Amazon deforestation like uh, was really high uh, at the beginning of the century and then uh, it was declining and then even before Bolsonaro it was starting to shoot up again and it's interesting that you're talking about this uh, these two things that Bolsonaro represents the military and the agriculture agriculture lobby it feels like the military thing that he represents because he was an army captain was is like part of his history but the thing that was driving is it right to say the thing that was driving the deforestation in the few years before he came to power was that was that agriculture lobby and does that mean that this a lot of this stuff might be happening regardless of bolsonaro well yes the 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 push for deforestation came from before and even the indigenous rights this reversing of indigenous rights is Coming from before, and this has to do with the, the decrease of power of the agricultural sector. Uh, Brazil has has just crossed a, a big economic crisis, and even before that, the only thing that that was growing in the Brazilian economy was was agriculture, no? especially selling soybeans for the Amazon, for for China. And all, but also cattle, and so they they have this arg economic arg argument that they they are the ones who are actually uh, uh, keeping the GDP 
uh, growing in, in whereas the industri industry sector is just lost out all the competition with China so uh, even uh, during Lula's term well it was slightly better but with Dilma the Ministry of Agriculture was one of the, the beef caucus one of the leaders and so uh, they also they have a lot of power in Congress it's about 300 congressmen out of 500 and some so every president uh, will have to deal with them if they want to make uh, like a, if they want to govern they have to deal with it's the most important uh, caucus in Congress right now the attitude towards indigenous people also seems really to be tied up in a strange way with the rhetoric that we hear from that government around institutional bodies like the UN and, and particularly the UN Climate Convention. Could you sort of explain the link between the, the, the rhetoric and the attitudes towards those big international bodies? Well, we have... <laughs> There's a strong competition about who is the craziest minister of, of Bolsonaro. And, and the minister of foreign affairs is taking the lead. <laughs> so he's the one who said uh, Bolsonaro is... No, Trump is God sent to save the, the Christian world. He, he, he not only said that, he wrote, he, he wrote that. You can read from his own hands that, that Trump was sent by God to save us all. And he's against all the UN bodies. Um, he he said this he has this crazy fear of global globalism that Brazil has to be it's next to this Brexit rhetoric that the Brazil has to be for the Brazilians. And they and they tend to isolate uh, the, the, the diplomacy is, has this new notion that to isolate. Um, the the uh, the Paris Agreement. They Bolsonaro threatened to leave the Paris Agreement. He said that he would leave the Paris Agreement. So far, they they didn't do, but they don't need to because the Paris Agreement. You just can pretend that you're there, <laughs> as you know, and that there's no enforcement or anything. But Brazil is not hosting the COP, as you know. Uh, Bolsonaro decided not to hold the, host the COP. The COP went to Chile, so it's. It's very similar to the, the to the U.S. They just separated themselves from these U.N. bodies and just they probably are pretending they're there, but they're not. What's the situation? You kind of mentioned that there's economic stress for reporting and, and the newspaper business in Brazil, but has, has something changed in under Bolsonaro? Is anything different? And particularly for you, I guess, like reporting... On what you report on, which is obviously uh, going right up against some of their top agendas. Well, uh, it's, it didn't happen yet, but of course, Bolsonaro attacks my newspaper every other day. Uh, three weeks ago, he said that Folha is the source of all evils. <laughs> We're really flattered. <laughs> so it's it's a daily thing, and so far. Um, Folha doesn't need the government to finance itself, um, but we we're afraid that that can lead to violence or to to to, to harm us like uh, in any way uh, and somehow like I haven't had this so far. I mean, I I didn't feel threatened because of Bolsonaro's uh, threats or saying, but that's something that might happen like this. It's just people just take it what he says literally and and attack or can attack us or, or do something against the journalists because it's part of his rhetoric, just just like Trump, you know, the enemy of the the press is the enemy of the people and things like that. He says that all the, all the time. So that, that might be a danger in the, in the near future, yes. I'm just going to ask one more question and then I'm going to uh, get some questions from the room. I'm, I'm curious about like where your stories are coming from like what what your source, what your major sources for stories are in the Amazon, and if you have like a couple of sort of like what you see is like the biggest stories that you want to cover in the next like six months or something like that. I mean, uh, my sources are from everywhere. As uh, after two years and being alone there, so many people contact me. Uh, people from from the government, from the environmental agencies, were 
seeing things and they want they want to uh, these things to come out uh, the indigenous leaders are amazing sources uh, I will tell you a small story I, I was invited to know a village that was producing pepper in São Gabriel da Cachoeira it's like São Gabriel da Cachoeira is a city it's, it's the most indigenous city in, in the country it's like 90% is indigenous whereas in the country as a whole is 0.4% like the indigenous population is, uh, is in terms of proportions ratio is really small but there is over 90% it, it is almost two hour flight from Manaus westward and then we take a boat from there and it's two days to go to this river where they're growing pepper actually there's a beer from Ireland who is using this pepper Baniwa Baniwa beer it's, you can, you can we'll probably find it in that. so I was there to write the story I was invited to go there and then by coincidence there was a a, a reunion from this indigenous uh, uh, ethnicity called Baniwa and they were talking about mining that was a businessman who was going there and he was trying to lure them into do a illegal scheme to explore tantalite which is a mineral used for in electronics and so I was 400 kilometers away from São Gabriel da Cachoeira which is no, it's out of nowhere so, and so I, I talked to them and said well explain to me so this guy took me to a hut where the, he had electricity from the from, from the sun from the sun solar electricity and he downloaded all the speeches that the guys made and he gave me the, the also the audio he, they had recorded everything from this guy and and they gave me transcripts and 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 he also showed me the map from the 80s in the 80s they gave grants to, uh, concessions in the area but that, that was 40 years ago and they, and then he, he they explained to me what he was doing and then I took everything with me went back to Manaus and and I I wrote a story that links this guy to a top aide in the of Tamer the former president and it was it was a very big story that they were trying to do something illegal and the guy who was behind that was next to the president so and that all started with them in the middle of nowhere it was, for me it was really amazing story how how that go and for this year i'm we, the, the thing with the amazon that there's no need to change the law for bad things to happen because most of the economy is illegal uh, deforestation is illegal Mining is illegal. Uh, logging is illegal. So, uh, if the federal government is saying, "Oh, it's okay for you to do that," so these things will happen with or without legislation. Uh, Greenpeace has done a lot of work that to, that showed how easy it is to to export illegal logging and and also to to uh, legalize deforestation. And it's gonna be, and the federal government is the was the once only power that was trying to stop that not anymore so i i, I mean i'll i'll keep doing the same i mean the same beats uh, logging deforestation but now with probably a much much faster pace than 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 before so it's just speeding up things that was happening just on that and i'll ask for questions now so put your hand up but just um on that i mean the enforcement and the, and what are you saying about the enforcement and how are the people that you're talking to who are your sources and who are the people who are supposed to be enforcing the laws like what are they saying to you about what they're being told and what their jobs are like um, these are the people that are stopping illegal logging well many of them were fired <laughs> uh, because they were in the top positions they they had uh, like uh, like a director of environmental protection and all this, they, they belong to the Obama. That's but they are they're It's a how do you say commission? No, it's a commission uh, function. So they, most of them were fired. Uh, one of them was fired because uh, he fined Bolsonaro in 2012. He he caught Bolsonaro fishing inside a protected area, and and he fined him. And then eight, seven years later, Bolsonaro had his revenge. And it's and and he was in charge of a, it was a big um, 
it was very important because in the Amazon, everything is airborne. So he was in charge of coordinating all the airborne operations from Obama and he was fired and no one replaced him. So it just makes very uh, clear that it was a like political decision. It just He just wanted him to get fired because was because he took a picture of Bolsonaro in, in a white swimsuit. <laughs> <laughs> And this picture is everywhere. So now I can finally put the credits of his picture because we always publish this picture without credits, but now we can put the credits. <laughs> so that's that's one of them. And and last week, uh, uh, Obama has um, um, they one of the most important tools for them to work is that they are they they have the power to destroy uh, equi equipment from. Um, environmental uh, criminals for instance if inside indigenous land it's forbidden to log to mining so anything that you find there it's obviously obviously shouldn't be there so they they can destroy it uh, one thing because it's obvious that it's it's a crime and second because it's really hard to to take this from the place like to transport these things it's really it's really hard to do that it can take weeks so they destroy. And last week, Bolsonaro made a video criticizing the agents for doing that, even though it's, it's legal to do that. And he's putting the population or these criminals uh, against the, the, the police because they, they say that what the police is doing, because it's environmental police, what they're doing is wrong. So this is really dangerous for this for for these agents. And, uh, and it's really the opposite of what I've what a president should do like they, they they're he's promoting people to break the law and 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 get away with that are there any questions in our audience there's lots great um so we might take you at the back first um hi this is soila and i'm the producer of this episode I just wanted to jump in here before we get into the question and answer segment to say sorry for some of the questions and the sound being a little low volume. It was of course a live event and if you need to just turn up the volume in your headphones to hear the questions more clearly. Back to Fabiana. Um, there's the contest first uh, Brazil is just coming out of big recession. We just it was the second worst recession, economic recession history. So, uh, people who who live in in São Paulo and Rio, like the the and violence, we just in Brazil there were sixty thousand people killed last year, and so it's there's so many things to to uh, to cover in Brazil and. And environment is not something that is really attached to their daily lives, not as much as economic, unemployment, and violence. So I, I think it's a matter of priority. And second, it's obviously, obviously the newspapers and the television are not offering stories enough. I mean, when, when something happens, like in Minas Gerais with the mining accidents that killed hundreds of people, and destroy an area right in the center of the country, then you get a lot of attention about environment. But uh, last year I was with the Munduruku and and their land is just being destroyed by this, uh, by this Garimpeiros, by this mining activity. They, I went to a river that is 200 kilometer long and all the river had changed its color. And not, I was the only one to report that. Uh, not, not, no other media, picked up the story in Brazil. Actually, the New York Times went there the next month, and, but no, nobody else. And it's, so it's really, the Amazon is, I mean, it's so far from Sao Paulo as it is from London, probably. So it's think people, it's some, these are issues that people don't relate to their daily lives in Brazil. Well, there was an, ex, an exception when there was the, the dry droughts in Sao Paulo, and then the people were talking about the, the how the rain works and that, we need the forest to have the rain. And, and so for those specific two years, people were talking about deforestation and relationship with Sao Paulo, but then it rained again and <laughs> and the story was, was over. Thanks. Thanks. 
Um, thank you. That's been super interesting. Um, the I'm interested in understanding what you your sense of external pressure on Brazil is, and what the what the pressure points on Bolsonaro and the and the regime, whether or not it's the sort of the agribusiness or the military or the evangelicals or the, the, the powers that be within the government. What levels of susceptibility are they from external? Well, um, that's a good question. Uh, um, I mean, the the, the evangelicals um, they actually doing uh, they have international alliances, so uh, they're favoring these alliances. And who who is there to pressure Brazil right now? The U.S. is not, you know, and so that that would be the biggest pressure. And then you know, Europe. Not so much. China, not at all. I mean, Bolsonaro doesn't have a good relationship with China. But speaking of environment, it's not China who will raise the the flag about this. And so, in terms of environment, I mean, maybe maybe Europe is the that that's where the most pressure will come. But inside the U.S., there are some things. But uh, like three days ago, the the Museum Museum of National History canceled. The gala for Bolsonaro, and the joke in Brazil was uh, the first time in history that National Museum uh, refused a dinosaur, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, but that that's not pressure enough. I mean, it has to be it has to be stronger. Uh, so, I, I I don't know if Europe itself or or is able to business and in business. I will need help from Chris. Greenpeace has a very successful story with of the soybean moratorium. They, um, they, they, they created this agreement that started with the private ser- sector and the, the social, uh, civil society that uh, that that for the companies, the traders, not to buy uh, soybeans from uh, deforested areas in the Amazon, and this is working. Uh, and the government joined later, but first was was something that uh, was created between uh, the companies and, and Greenpeace and other NGOs. So, um, so yes, that, that that is a good example of, of something that 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 can happen because if they the, Bolsonaro wants to exploit expand soybeans to the to the indigenous lands, actually yesterday night he was with a, there was one indigenous land that has soybeans and it's illegal, but they're still doing. And Bolsonaro invited him for a national um, for a national I don't say speech. He was beside him and say, "Oh, he, he's planting soybeans. It's fine." But the companies might not want to buy uh, soybeans from indigenous lands. So that 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 is a way to that might be a path. Did you want to follow up on that? Ed? I'd be interested in um, how much you think Bolsonaro is too bothered about his um, external. Also, the extent to which he is interested in foreign policy. I, I always understood that Brazil's foreign ministry was very independent and always pursued its own line on different issues, no matter really what government was in charge. Um, I'd be interested in your, your thoughts on, on how that sort of maybe impacted and to what extent Bolsonaro is, is focused on you know, how he's perceived abroad. So he, he's, he decided to, to have strong allies with the extreme right and the right. So he met Trump and then he went to Israel to help Netanyahu just a few days before the, the election. He went there. Uh, his son, who is really uh, in charge of of this daily contest, he's going to meet Orban and then uh, Salvini in Italy this week. Uh, and the foreign minister, he's... Um, He's not the first minister, in fact, anymore. He's, he has made some stupid things related to Venezuela. And then the vice president kind of took, took charge of, of the foreign policy. And so he's, uh, uh, the, the military is the most reasonable part of the country. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, I never thought I would say that. <laughs> so, and so the vice president kind of took over uh, to be more pragmatic towards Venezuela because this guy was threatening to go to war with Venezuela. 
And then the military had to calm things down. And so, for instance, there was this meeting about Venezuela, high-level meeting. All the all the governments, a local, regional country, regional meeting. The everybody sent the minister of foreign affairs, but Brazil sent the vice president instead of the minister. So, so it's it's a comp- competition between this more ideological part the, that has the Bolsonaro son and the military, who is more, which is more pragmatic. Do you, do you get the sense that foreign ministry is being, you know, as, as an entity, is it slowly being chipped away, or is it, do you think it's being, it will maintain its independence? No, it's being chipped away because the, it's not a strong minister. The, the, the diplomats don't respect him. So the Brazilian diplomacy always had a good uh, image abroad, which is overstated, <laughs> but it's not as bad as this minister, and so they, they've been they've been left aside. Hi, um, could you say a little bit about threats against indigenous uh, leaders and activists? Um, I've, we've heard quite a few stories about about indigenous leaders being killed. Um, I, I work for a human rights organization, Amnesty International, and I, my main concern if I went to do you know, some kind of research in Brazil would be if I was putting people in danger that I was talking to. Mm-hmm. Um, so could you just say a little bit about, like, you said that the indigenous movement is really, really strong, which is fantastic. Also that they don't need NGOs, which is also fantastic. Um, but it, would it be possible to do that kind of research and maybe try to raise international profile of, of specific leaders or activists and not put them in danger? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, uh, most of indigenous leaders have been abroad. Uh, they travel a lot. Uh, they, they, uh, they, 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 they know how, how to protect themselves. I mean, what they, what they can do, they cannot do. Um, we, we, there have been some killings of indigenous, but from in the past few years, not from indigenous leaders. Uh, Chris, do you, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll have, I'll, do you remember any indigenous leader killed in the past few years? I don't think so, right? Um, I mean, indigenous leader? No. Leader? Yeah. Leader? No. Leader, I'm not sure, but from like... From, uh, yeah, from the Maranhão. Yeah, from the indigenous group. There, there was a fight in Maranhão with logging, and yeah. there, there was there was some killings there. The Capor, maybe? Who? The Capor? The Capor, yeah. The Capor in Maranhão. But not indigenous leaders, and... And so I mean, and and they 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 really easy to access, and I I I'm saying that they don't need NGOs in the sense of they they have their own organizations. They don't they don't need other organizations to to yeah, yeah. to to to, to, to get funding. For instance, they're getting funding uh, themselves, mm-hmm. uh, and they they're really really like uh, outspoken right now, and it's it's been. That, that, that's it's been really great what they're doing i mean they they had never been so much threats against them but they they had never been so well organized so that's that's a relief and but you you can you can do the work we, we have we had three massacres in brazil already in the amazon this year uh two in para in it, one of them was a leader from a, a movement for people who are affected by dams, hydraulic dams. So it was a woman, she was killed and her, her, her throat was slit open. And, and her husband and a friend were killed to, together. And two days later, another three people were killed in the same area. And then three weeks ago, there was an indigenous uh, um, a rubber stamp community that the leader was killed and that was also land related and and other three people were killed so things are it was happening already but it it's continuing and it it, it seems that we will continue with a lot of violence chris chris <laughs> so first um i'm going to comment on the participation of business in trying to um, make brazil a little bit Yes, I do think that if business starts saying, well, if you guys keep doing what you are doing with the environment or changing the ministry, removing power from the ministry of the environment, because this is what they are doing. They are not like extincting the, the ministry of the environment, but they are removing all the power, uh, retrieving resources and so on. So by having 
putting some traps, putting something to do. We also have in my countries putting some kind of traps. So for example, AU has a directive for not buying palm oil from Indonesia, if I'm not wrong, from 2025 onwards, or maybe 20, I don't remember. So something like that could also make some pressure then on the government or like some embargoes of not importing wheat or and the soy is also powerful, although most part of our soy nowadays goes to China. There is still a significant percentage of soy meal that comes here and has more added value. So for the traders and agribusiness sectors, this is pretty important. Uh, yeah, so then now is my question. I know I also heard a data that things like Obama is not fining people anymore and the numbers of fines and embargoes have been the lowest since 1995, something like that. And I see that one of the opportunities that I see for journalists is going with Obama in those field operations because they tend to be really, really dangerous. So people might have guns and they know how to prepare for these kind of things and I know that the journalists I don't know if you have been to any of those operations, I would say so. But mm -hmm. how do you see that? I guess it's not going to happen anymore, right? So it's a missed opportunity again. Yeah, I mean, for, for the operations, I mean. No, for the operations and for telling the stories. Yeah, the well, stories are not happening anymore. Yeah, well, uh, the, um, the Obama cannot talk to the press anymore. There was a decision by the minister about one month ago. So we're not, uh, they're not allowed to talk to us. And we have to, re if we have questions, we have to contact the Ministry of Environment. The person in charge is a military. And I've, I've, wrote, I've written probably six or eight times. I never got a one single answer. So we're not, a, I, I, I tried to go to an operation uh, uh, last week. They didn't, didn't even me. They didn't even answer me. So we we we're, we're not allowed to go anymore. That's over. So we're not, and they, we're not allowed to interview them. We could interview a regional coordinator whenever we wanted. Just pick up the phone, and it's that's it's forbidden. Even the president of Obama cannot speak right now. One more, one more question. Yeah. Can I ask two? Go on. Okay. Right. Uh, so I was curious uh, about, well, first of all, you've got a guy in, in Bolsonaro who not only constantly attacks, especially Claudia, he singles you out, but also he's got a huge social media audience and addresses them directly, mm -hmm. sort of sidestepping you. Does that change the way you're trying to do your job and you're trying to reach readers uh, as a journalist? And the second question was, I was just curious about what the situation is like in Manaus. Are people generally quite happy with the way Bolsonaro is... Um, you know, dealing with Brazil and, and the future of the country. Uh, how did they vote? Uh, how did, are they reacting to this? Well, first, the president's tweet. My father is 76 years old, and he learned with Bolsonaro what is golden shower. <laughs> he never heard about golden shower, but Bolsonaro had to put in his tweet. So, uh, yeah, of course, it's the same with, with uh, Trump. Like, he puts a lot of fake news and it's a lot of effort from the journalists to uh, to say, well, it's, that's not accurate and, and to rectify him. And of course, we don't have the same reach as he does. So it's, all, it's always harmful that, that, that he spreads uh, fake news or, or uh, poor information and biased information through his tweet. It's, 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 it takes a lot of effort. Uh, for us to 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 cover this all these things that he puts on 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 his tweet, including golden shower, <laughs> we that was a story from my newspaper. They they had to call specialists and say whether golden shower is safe or not. You know, he could be covering the Amazon, but he was <laughs> explaining golden shower. And and the second question is the how what's it like in my house? Well, him? well. My, the, the Amazon um, the Amazon Bolsonaro won in all the states but Pará. But if you break the votes by cities, so in, in the Amazon, in Amazonas, uh, so he won in Manaus, which is half of the, the, the population of the state. Amazonas the state, if it was a country, would be the third largest country in South America. 
it's just was would be smaller than Brazil and in Argentina it would be bigger than Colombia Peru and Venezuela so it's huge but all, half of the population is in there but outside Manaus except from one city where there is a lot of people from the south Bolsonaro lost he lost in São Gabriel da Cachoeira that is 90% indigenous in Horaima state which is the northernmost state he won by 79% and but he lost in the free cities that are inside the indigenous territory he lost there so it's really divided and and there was a study that showed that uh, he won in all the cities that are part of the arc of deforestation so where there is this deforestation he won and so it's, it's really uh, inside the amazon it's really divided but in on average here he he, he he had a lot of more support and criticism there because there, there are more people in the cities and more immigrants than, than indigenous people or other other traditional population. I just to as a last question, I wonder like you're the only major Brazilian paper with a reporter in Manaus or in the Amazon covering the world's most important rainforest and you're living in a place that you know I know I know that like some of it's a, a struggle living in Manaus it's a difficult place to live and it's definitely a difficult place to report from I wonder I wonder if you feel trapped no I, I feel good I mean I I, I like the Amazon I, I, I like a lot I mean personally I like to be in the jungle I like to be by the water I I like to meet the people who live there it's fascinating all this variety. I, I mean, São Gabriel da Cachoeira, which is a fascinating place. There are 21 ethnicities in a 60,000 population, 60,000 people population. People there speak four languages. And it's really, it's really amazing to be there. And it's really sad what's happening, but at the same time, it's a fascinating place. I, I feel, I feel very good. I'm, my, my, my son doesn't live there, but <laughs> we get to see each other you know, from time to time. And, I, it's a good place to be in spite of everything. Fabiano, thank you so much for coming in to talk to us tonight.